When hot winds race down the mountains in Southern California, it sets off one of the most catastrophic fire seasons the state has ever seen. We had all the conditions that were right. For us, it was just a ticking time bomb. Suddenly, fires break out everywhere. There were 14 or 15 major fires going on in California. But one of them is no accident. It was all over the news very quickly that the old fire was suspected to be arson. As it merges with another fire, it becomes a force of historic proportions, destroying everything in its path. Southern California was on fire. Essentially, the loss of life was devastating. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Investigators hunt for those responsible and soon uncover someone's sinister plan to weaponize Mother Nature. They essentially use the weather as a murder weapon. Located in the Inland Empire of Southern California is the city of San Bernardino, nestled in the foothills of the San Bernardino Valley. The city of San Bernardino is about 60 miles east of Los Angeles, and the city and the other communities around it, they're bounded on the northeast side by the San Bernardino Mountains. But when you get to the top, it's got uh, Lake Arrowhead, it's got Running Springs, it's got Big Bear Lake. There are probably, oh, I don't know, 100,000 various full-time and part-time residents up on the mountain. There's skiing up there. There's lakes to go swimming in. It, it's just beautiful, and the weather's perfect. With its hot desert climate, the valley gets very little precipitation and stays warm and sunny almost year-round. It's a, a very dry climate, gets very high temperatures uh, during the summers, uh, up in the hundreds, and the winters are very pleasant. But in the fall, the valley and the mountain communities are often riddled with ferocious Santa Ana winds. Santa Ana winds come from the desert. That occurs when we get high pressure over the Great Basin, parts of Utah, Nevada, California, and that moves air towards the coast. As the air moves downslope, it compresses, it warms, it dries out, and this can be exceptionally gusty, these Santa Ana winds. They can gust over 70 miles an hour through those mountain passes and canyons. And this contributes to the drying effect on the vegetation here in this area. A lot of the vegetation dries up and dies. This phenomenon markedly increases the wildfire danger in the foothills, canyon, and mountain communities. And that's precisely what happened in October 2003, when the forecast predicted strong Santa Ana winds. So the area had been through a significant drought. And on top of that, they had a bark beetle infestation. So these insects, they bore into the weaker trees and they cut off the tree's ability to survive and defend itself so the tree dies. And then the area is left with a lot of dead, dry trees, which is perfect kindling. We saw this weather pattern setting up. So we have fuels coming together with weather, with wind. We had all the conditions that were right. It was just a ticking time bomb. Something was going to start it. But no one was prepared for how bad it was going to be. It's been called the October Fire Siege of 2003. The siege of 2003 was huge. 
Uh, I mean, Southern California was on fire, essentially from the Angeles National Forest on the north to the border with Mexico. It all started when flames erupt near the San Gabriel Mountains, about 16 miles west of the city, starting the Grand Prix fire, named for the street where it started. I sent firefighters into it, and it burned so hot that they had to, that they couldn't catch it. The Grand Prix fire burned for several days and burned up into the hills. The fire was one of many that raged simultaneously throughout Southern California that month. I think for that particular siege, there were 14 or 15 major fires going on in Southern California. In the San Bernardino area, there wasn't a fire, but everybody was on high alert that this could happen because the winds were so strong and the forest were such a tinderbox. We knew that if a spark occurred there, um, it could explode. By Saturday morning, the Grand Prix fire had already consumed 27,182 acres and was only 23% contained. As firefighters try to get the other fires under control, a new and suspicious blaze breaks out near Old Waterman Canyon Road and California State Route 18, dubbed the Old Fire. Resources were always already beginning to be drawn down. Old Waterman Canyon is a very steep steep canyon. So once a fire gets going, you're a danger just driving in there. The Santa Ana winds begin to pick up, only escalating the flames. The fire is wind-driven. It's a Santa Ana-driven fire. So the fire would normally follow the contour of the mountain. But this fire is different. It didn't do that. It came down and split. It went in two different directions. That's because we've got a landmass and a water mass so close together with the mountains in between. In the morning, the land is actually cooler, the ocean warmer, so you've got a down canyon wind. But during the afternoon, as things heat up, we see that air begin to rise, the ground becomes warmer, and we get an up canyon wind. It's going to go from the bottom of Old Waterman Canyon to the top of Old Waterman Canyon extremely fast. We've fought two separate fires. And because of the fire intensity, the old fire within four to five hours was burning into the upper part of the city of San Bernardino. Wind-driven fire races through the neighborhood of Del Rosa, devouring 10,000 acres and 200 homes. You can get winds that can have gusts 40 to 60 miles an hour. You cannot get out of the way of a fire that's traveling that fast. In the mountain communities, voluntary evacuations are quickly ordered as fire crews work to stop the advance of the blaze. You are constantly hearing the, the jet engines and helicopters, just the flashing road signs. Roads closed, it's kind of like a war zone. Then, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department learns that a man has died from cardiac arrest while trying to evacuate. Firefighters are determined to stop these treacherous infernos before more lives are lost. 
We are drawing resources from other states all across the nation because we didn't have enough. I mean, we are, you just have too much to handle. While the fire continues to spread due to the Santa Ana winds, police and fire investigators look to find the cause of the old fire and soon discover this was no accident or natural disaster. If you had a person who had propensity or wanting to start a fire, we're talking about a perfect time to do it. In October 2003, after multiple fires have erupted in San Bernardino County, one called the Old Fire is threatening the valley and the mountain communities simultaneously. This is because we have extremely low humidity and those powerful and hot Santa Ana winds are fanning the flames in different directions. The old fire started on Old Waterman Canyon Road. And then after just nine hours, that fire had grown to 10,000 acres, which destroyed hundreds of homes. One resident has already lost their life and it's about to get much worse. Two days later, the old fire starts making its way toward the Grand Prix fire. The high winds pushed it laterally across the forest uh, to where the two fires merged and they became uh, one big fire. So as the two fires combined, it grew in strength and intensity and you eventually ended up with one enormously large fire. President George W. Bush declares San Bernardino County a disaster area and urges the Federal Emergency Management Agency to move quickly to assess damage and provide financial assistance. Mandatory evacuations are now in effect for more than 80,000 residents, including 67-year-old Ralph McWilliams. Ralph Eugene McWilliams was a longtime mountain resident he lived in an area called Cedar Glen, and it's just off of to the east of Lake Arrowhead, and it's a smaller community. He had lived there for decades. He was divorced and had three sons. He worked for the Rim of the World School District for many years as a custodian. That's where he became friends with Dolly Boron. I met Ralph through work. We were coworkers, and we became friends. Ralph was a good guy. He was funny. He looked like a, a mean grizzly bear, but he was a pussycat. Although Ralph did have his share of health troubles, he never let it stop him from enjoying mountain life. He had had a stroke in previous years, but he was still able to work. Sometimes he'd stutter, but he did good for a person with a stroke. So after he retired, he just decided to stay up in the mountains. I mean, he'd been there for so long. He knew people there. and and I guess he liked the weather. When the Grand Prix fire broke out, living in Cedar Glen, Ralph was on high alert. Mr. Wick Williams had friends that were encouraging him because he was a little elderly, that uh, we needed to evacuate and get to a safe place. Then the old fire broke out, and many residents were gathering supplies and leaving town. There was fires all around us, so the air wasn't good at all. I had called Ralph, and he said he wasn't feeling good. 
He said he was having a hard time breathing. So I drove Ralph to the hospital. Soon authorities instill mandatory evacuation orders for Lake Arrowhead. We evacuated. It was nothing but bumper to bumper traffic. Everybody was evacuating. Being evacuated is not an easy process and it takes a huge amount of coordination. In the old fire, we evacuated around 90,000 people off the mountaintop. It's scary, really scary. We didn't know where we were gonna go when we got down to the bottom of the hill. Dolly and her husband finally find shelter at an old naval base. They had one of the hangars converted with cots in there and food. Ralph had called me and said they were going to release him, and then he came and stayed there with his oxygen. But outside, conditions are only getting worse. When you went for a walk, the, the air was just full of smoke. It was really hard to breathe. We covered our faces because the smell was just horrible. Meanwhile, two more men lose their lives in the chaos. So the U.S. Forest Service, California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, and San Bernardino County Fire Department all assist the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department on finding the cause of these fires. We have uh, the fire over at Grand Prix. Uh, we had no idea what started that, and although it was suspicious uh, at that time. So after looking into the Grand Prix fire, they know that the humidity was below 5%, which opens the door for everything under the sun. And then all it takes is a simple spark. They inspect the area where the Grand Prix fire started. You can go back to the origin area of fire and see that the fire burned from here to here underneath the brush. And right here is where the wind kicked in. But the only activity we could find at the point of the origin area was motorcycle tracks. We boiled it down to it could have been exhaust from a motorcycle or arson. And those two are extremely hard to tell apart. They also believe the old fire is suspicious. How could this fire have started near the bridge of the old Highway 18? There's no reason for a fire start here on, at 9.15 in the morning. And so the, you know, the alarm started going off. Authorities establish a hotline for tips, hoping someone saw something. Thousands of calls pour into the sheriff's department as firefighters finally get the fire under control thanks to the weather. Sometimes the fire people take credit for it. Yeah, we kicked that one, but it was really the, the weather. It's October 2003, and firefighters in Southern California are battling the old fire and Grand Prix fire that are now one giant inferno spreading through the San Bernardino Mountains, intensified by fierce Santa Ana winds. The fires have been so devastating because these trees have succumbed to drought, also a bark beetle infestation, so they're dead. The arid conditions have dried out everything, really making the perfect kindling. As the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department fields thousands of tips hoping to get a clue as to how these fires started, Two seem promising.
two days after the old fire started, a man named Gabriel Padilla calls the tip line. Gabriel Padilla calls in and tells police that the morning of October 25th, 2003, two days ago, his truck overheated on Highway 18 and he pulled over. He's looking over down into Waterman Canyon and that's where he saw a white van type vehicle. He saw a couple individuals get out of the van and then make a gesture as if they were throwing something on the side of the mountain. And then the flames erupted. Padilla said they ran back to the van and one man got in the front passenger side door and the other got in the back. And then the van left quickly. Then another tip comes in from Robert Lansden, who spotted that same vehicle around the same time. He was able to see the driver because the driver was driving so fast and erratic, it caught Mr. Lansden's attention. He was able to put together a composite drawing uh, with the assistance of a, a sketch artist, an individual that was seen driving that van. Police release the sketch to the public and offer a $110,000 reward for anyone who can provide information leading to a conviction. They also put out an APB on the van. It was all over the news very quickly that the old fire was suspected to be arson. Then two more deaths are reported. The old fire has now killed five people with stress-related heart attacks. All of them did have heart problems. If the person has an underlying cardiac or heart condition, this can be the precipitating factor for a fatal arrhythmia. As the sheriff's department continues to search for the suspects, the fire rages out of control. After almost a week of fires burning out of control, nearly 50,000 acres and 900 homes have been destroyed by the old fire. But Mother Nature, which had been so unforgiving throughout the week, finally lends a hand. The weather had turned from hot and dry to cold with increased humidity. So there were no longer those optimal fire conditions and it had finally started to lose its momentum. By nightfall, the fire is about 15% contained. Although the shelters are still overflowing with evacuated residents like Dolly Boron and 67-year-old Ralph McWilliams. I remember that night, uh, Ralph said he was just so cold. He was really cold. There was a church. They offered him a place to stay over there. So I took him over there until we could go back home. The next day, residents are given permission to go up the mountain to check on their houses. Dolly visits Ralph and tells him they'll check on his home for him. He was kind of excited that I was going to check on the houses. And I said, I'll see you when I get back. I'll let you know. Luckily, both Dolly and Ralph's houses survived. But when she came back down to tell Ralph, well, he wasn't at the church anymore. She couldn't find him. They said, well, he wasn't feeling good, so an ambulance took him. And I was calling all the hospitals around the area and looking for him. 
That's when one hospital gives her some devastating news. They said he went into congestive heart failure and they said they couldn't save him. It was like, wow. I, I didn't know that I wouldn't see him again. The old fire has now claimed its sixth stress-related fatality. I had to tell his son that his dad had passed, and that was so hard to do. As San Bernardino authorities get closer to a person of interest in their arsonist case, another weather-related tragedy occurs. At some point, it became futile, and the whole canyon just cut loose. I was just awestruck. After almost a week raging out of control, the Grand Prix and old fires in San Bernardino, California, that had merged into one monster, are slowly being contained. With cooler temperatures, higher humidity, and rain, the conditions were no longer optimal for fires to continue. Plus, the Santa Ana winds had finally died down. At the same time, San Bernardino investigators are still on the hunt looking for the arsonists responsible for the old fire that caused six men, including Ralph McWilliams, to die from the stress of the powerful blaze. The stress factors involved in each case were almost certainly the trigger for the final event. I don't think Ralph would have died if it wasn't for the fire. He wasn't ready to go, not for a long time. since the old fire started. With the weather now on their side, the fire is finally under control and fire officials overturn all mandatory evacuations. The Santa Anas go away and that's just a huge relief for fire suppression in itself. We had a significant um, rainstorm come through and it put snow um, all across the top of the mountain, which did a really good job on putting the fire out. Eight days later, the old fire is completely contained. The two acreages combined were about 163,000 acres. It was a pretty substantial portion of the county, and it was the largest fire in county history at that time. As the smoke begins to clear, authorities and area residents begin taking stock of the damages. It's hard to uh, overstate the devastation that this fire caused. Forests that were green, were uh, either flattened, destroyed. It looked like a bomb went off. Almost 1,000 homes and 10 businesses are nothing but ash and burnt remains. Going back up there, you could see that trees were burnt, things were black. Um, the power had been out all that time. It smelled horrible. It just seemed kind of spooky. Investigators continue to follow up on the tips about two men seen in a white van throwing something that started the old fire. But so far, no arrests have been made. 
It was all over the news very quickly that the old fire was suspected to be arson. Based on the descriptions law enforcement had from Mr. Padilla, from Mr. Lansden, and there was thousands of calls into law enforcement about tips. And one of them changes everything. A month after the fires, a woman named Elizabeth Rakop contacts the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department with potential information about the arsonist. She was convinced that her nephew, Ricky Fowler, had something to do with this fire because of statements that he made. Ricky had apparently been bragging about starting the fire, which immediately caught the attention of law enforcement. Police look up 22-year-old Ricky Fowler in their criminal database and find that he's no stranger to crime. Ricky Fowler grew up in and around the San Bernardino area, been a fairly impoverished background, a lot of challenges. His, his family was moving a lot. He had several siblings, but Ricky Fowler was always a little bit of a troublemaker. He was a drug user, and he got addicted to methamphetamine. So like many addicts, he turned to crime to support his habits. After the old fire was started, Ricky committed another crime and was facing prison time. Ricky bounced around from different house to different house, and he was taken in by a couple other family members. One woman was a friend's mother who actually gave him a place to stay, and he robbed her at gunpoint for her cash, took her rent money so he could go buy drugs. Although investigators find no solid history of arson in his record, Ricky still fits the profile. Arsonists, they're troubled individuals, and the act of lighting a fire for these people puts them at peace. It's a way for them to strike at somebody. It's a way for them to act out their anger. While detectives work on getting more information on Ricky, tragedy strikes the city again. On Christmas Day in the San Bernardino Mountains, heavy rains pour down over Waterman Canyon. We have this microburst that happens over this canyon, and below the canyon is this uh, camp, it's a church camp, uh, St. Sophia, and they were having a Christmas dinner. Suddenly that afternoon, the rains trigger a series of mudslides in the area. The devastation of the old fire basically took all the vegetation off the mountains, and without that vegetation, the land was prone to landslides because of any addition of water. Water will flow for a certain amount of time and then it will create a dam. And then you get enough water um, or debris or whatever behind that, it'll all break and it'll all come at one time. That's when a large mudslide suddenly pours down the mountain and consumes the church camp. Unfortunately, it went through their dining room and it captured and engulfed a number of people. Uh, that were washed down and through Waterman Canyon. When rescuers arrive, 14 people have lost their lives. It was devastating to walk in there. I was just awestruck. There was only one wall standing from all of the buildings that were in there. The loss of life was devastating. The old player played a huge part of the significance of how um, large a mud flow that was and the significance of the amount of life that was taken. While the city continues to recover, 
Investigators work on gathering evidence on their arson suspect, Ricky Fowler, and his getaway vehicle. We did find out who the van belonged to, and it, there was some connections with an individual by the name of Martin Valdez. And uh, he had borrowed or used the van. Investigators hunt down the names of other people associated with the van, including Valdez's son, Martin Valdez Jr., who bears a striking likeness to the composite sketch of the driver. And they were able to figure out that Martin Valdez Jr. and Martin Valdez Sr., along with Ricky Fowler, were in the van at the time it was driving up to Waterman Canyon Road. Circumstantially, we knew that they were hanging out together from other witness statements. Investigators believe they're on the right track. And that January, they locate the van. But unfortunately, no evidence is found inside. Then in 2004, Ricky pleads guilty to burglary and is sentenced to 15 years in prison. Detectives decide it's time to pay him a visit. With the lack of physical evidence, they're hoping they can try to get some kind of confession out of him. Investigators question Ricky Fowler and get more than they bargained for. It was his way of manipulating them for his own sadistic purposes. San Bernardino Sheriff's investigators strongly believe Ricky Fowler, a violent career criminal and convicted burglar, might be responsible for setting the old fire that destroyed over 91,000 acres, almost 1,000 homes, and caused the deaths of six people, including Ralph McWilliams. Ralph was a good guy. He was funny, he was gentle. Makes me angry to think that somebody would do that intentionally. Investigators sit down with 22-year-old Ricky Fowler at the prison he's being held, and he doesn't seem to mind talking. So in the beginning of the interview, he tells detectives he knows nothing about the fire. But then, after a little bit of questioning, a little bit of pressing, he admits he was there. He would basically admit that he had been present um, during the initiation of the fire. Investigators continue to press the young man but they only get half-truths. Ricky was toying with those officers, and he would give them tantalizing tidbits and not come right out and say something. Authorities need something more concrete. They speak to 24-year-old Martin Valdez Jr., who they believe was the driver of the van, and his father, Martin Valdez Sr., but they refuse to say anything or admit anything to police, so no charges are filed against them. We think that there was some involvement with Martin Valdez Jr. Ricky didn't directly implicate Martin Valdez Sr., but we are confident that Ricky Fowler is the one that threw the flare that ignited this whole thing. Police interview Ricky Fowler multiple times, but his game playing doesn't change. So he would tell him a little bit, but then he'd point the finger at somebody else and he'd say, well, maybe I did this, maybe I didn't do that, I don't know. Meanwhile, detectives must look into the overwhelming number of tips that continue to come in. Because this has such a dramatic impact on the local region, 
There was literally tens of thousands of tips and information and pieces of details that law enforcement had to follow up on each and every tip. Two years later in 2006, misfortune strikes once more when Martin Valdez Jr. is killed in a random shooting. Police continue to question Ricky, but get nowhere and the case stalls. Ricky Fowler loved the attention. He would just drop little seeds as if inviting them to come back and talk to me some more. It was a game to him. Another two years go by when Ricky finally gives authorities something, a note stating his peripheral involvement with the old fire. I think he probably felt a, a degree of safety because of the number of months and years had passed since the fire, and it perhaps lessened the stress that he was gonna be charged with it. Investigators speak with him again, and this time Ricky admits he was in the van with Martin Valdez Jr and they intended to rob a man named John Aylward, who lived in Waterman Canyon. He says that Aylward is a family friend and let Ricky and his family stay with him at his home when they were having housing challenges. Mr. Aylward, because Ricky was such a problem, would kick Ricky out, but it would allow the rest of the family to stay in. This was while Ricky was in the throes of his methamphetamine addiction. Ricky says they were going there to rob him, but once they got there, they were too high to pull it off. So they parked halfway down Waterman Canyon Road. Ricky became so enraged that he threatened to burn Aylward's house down, and it just aggravated him that somebody was telling him what he could or could not do. Fowler tells investigators that he went to the back of the van and took out a flare, but he says that Martin Valdez Jr. took the flare from him and then threw it into the brush. And of course, Martin Valdez Jr. had been murdered and pointing the finger at a dead guy uh, obviously can deflect some of the responsibility from your own conduct. After verifying the fallout between Aylward and Ricky, detectives believe he was the intended target of the fire. The topography of this area is such that he could start this fire here and get Mr. Aylward's house just up the canyon from there because if you start a fire below, it's gonna blow up. In June 2009, six years after the old fire, authorities officially named Ricky Fowler and the late Martin Valdez Jr. as the arsonists. In that six year period, there was numerous leads, thousands of tips as far as who uh, may have been involved in this fire. That's why it took several years, and Ricky Fowler's name kept popping up. The old fire investigation is deemed the largest criminal investigation in San Bernardino County history. Prosecutors indict Ricky Fowler with two counts of arson and five counts of first-degree murder. Seeking murder charges for individuals that were dying by heart attack. This took it to a different level. As prosecutors gear up for a long-anticipated trial, will they be able to prove without a doubt that Ricky Fowler wielded the weather to commit mass destruction and ultimately murder? We can't just prove that 
he committed a felony and people died. We have to prove a higher level of intent. And the weather was a big component of that. When the old fire engulfed the San Bernardino Mountains, the weather fanned its ferociousness. In the Ricky Fowler case, um, weather played a very significant role. If it wasn't for all of the physical conditions, such as the steepness of the slope, the dryness of the vegetation, which is based on the weather of the area, if you took away the winds, it, that probably never would have happened. Over 91,000 acres and 993 homes were destroyed, costing close to 1.2 billion in damages. Among the casualties are 67-year-old Ralph McWilliams and five other men who all lost their lives due to fire-related heart attacks. I believed that stress from the situation of the fire was a triggering factor in their deaths, that absent the fire, and the evacuation and so forth, they probably would not have died when they did. Now, Ricky Fowler stands accused of starting the devastating old fire. If somebody is gonna light a fire in that particular area at that point in time, they know full well they are lighting the fuse to a bomb. And that's exactly what Ricky Fowler did. In October, 2009, Fowler is indicted with two counts of arson and five counts of murder with special circumstances during the commission of arson. He is not charged with the 14 deaths of the mudslide caused by heavy rains two months later. While in the case we only charged Mr. Fowler with five murders, there were additional deaths, including an, another individual who had a heart attack that we couldn't directly attribute to his, his actions. We felt very confident that we could prove that five of these six individuals were directly killed and their heart attacks were precipitated by the circumstances of the evacuation and the fire directly related to Mr. Fowler. On November 12, 2009, six years after the old fire, Ricky Fowler, now 27 years old, pleads not guilty. Two months later, the San Bernardino County prosecutor announces that he plans to seek the death penalty. You're looking at something that is a crime that is more heinous, more grotesque, more impactful on a visceral level. This screamed out for something that was more than what we might normally find. But in August 2010, the trial gets another setback when Ricky becomes sexually abusive towards his cellmate. He, for days on end, would rape him and just terrorized this man to, to the point where he eventually exaggerate his symptoms so that the jail personnel would take him to the medical so that he could get out of the cell with Ricky. In March 2011, for that crime, Ricky is sentenced to three 25 years to life prison terms. He also learns the prosecutor is seeking the death penalty in his arson and murder case and recants his confession publicly. Later on, of course, he's changing his tune when uh, the push is coming to shove. Ricky's trial finally begins two years later in July 2012, almost a decade after the old fire. 
Prosecutor Robert Bullock paints a picture of Fowler as a sadistic felon who intentionally set the fire in a fit of rage. Ricky Fowler would become violent and enraged and unpredictable. And there is a direct correlation between Mr. Fowler's reckless conduct and his intent to kill. Bullock says Fowler was well aware that the conditions were perfect to start a fire and that the location he chose could create optimal destruction. When you have Santa Ana winds, wind predictions uh, in play, they're broadcast over the media, and that's to warn the public, but it also could set uh, a person that uh, might have arson in mind. When most arsonists light fires for whatever their reason is, they're not thinking of the weather, of the wind, or what the fire might do. In Ricky Fowler's case, he is one of the exceptions to the rule. No one could reasonably think it was a mistake or just a lark to throw a flare onto the side of a mountain in these conditions. So absolutely, the weather and the conditions were part of the murder weapon. The defense team argues there's no direct evidence that Ricky set the blaze. And they say that all the victims had health conditions already, which put them at a high risk for sudden death. But the jury doesn't buy it. On August 15, 2012, Ricky Fowler is convicted of all charges. Five months later, he receives the death penalty. Ricky Fowler shall be put to death. He hurt more people than the person he intended to hurt. He took the life of a friend of mine that I didn't get to say goodbye to. Ricky Fowler yielded the weather to his advantage to create a mass amount of pain and destruction. This was a calculated, decided way to use the weather and the conditions for his own selfish purposes. The human tragedy is really the saddest part of this whole event, and the people's lives have been changed uh, forever because of it.